and we talked about the tomb is still empty. We talked about the power that he made available. And I thought how great it would be to follow that up with looking at salvation. Taking salvation and unplugging it. And when we say salvation unplugged, we're not saying that it's lost its power. But what we're doing is we're looking beyond the, maybe the facade of what we've made it. That we're looking to actually what it is and what it wants to be in every one of our lives. So for the next month, we're going to be looking at the awesome gift. And man, is that an understatement. The awesome gift that is available to every one of us. The freedom, the peace, the liberty, the future, the hope. The list can go on and on. The benefits that come as a result of salvation. How many are glad today for salvation? You better be glad for it because we're going to discover with it you're going to be okay, but without it you're going to have some troubles. So we're going to look at the scriptures and I encourage you, get a notebook, take notes in church because there's going to be some things that are going to be covered and said today that you need to grab a hold of and you need to be in your life. So today we're going to start with our scripture coming from Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3 and I want you to take note of what's been said. Listen. Take it to heart. The Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Let me say that again. How shall we escape? What hope is there for us is really what's been said. If we what? Take for granted, refuse to realize the greatness of the salvation that God has given and made available for us. That which was first spoken by God and was confirmed by those who heard him. Not just spoken from the Lord, but also confirmed. Let me give you a background quickly on the book of Hebrews. People don't know who wrote it. Some people say Paul, other people have said other things. But you know what? It doesn't matter because it was written for our lives. But here's the theme of the book of Hebrews. The early Christians were converted out of Judaism. They were followers of the law of Moses and that was the way they thought they had to live, by the law. But Jesus came and now they live by grace, a relationship through salvation in Jesus Christ. But you know what? They began to get discouraged because they thought that Christ was going to come and take them back to be with him really quick. And when it didn't happen as they thought it should, and when they thought it should happen, you can see through history, they began to get despondent. They began to get rejected. They began to wander back and begin to consider, perhaps we've now turned to the wrong thing. And perhaps we need to go back 
to our old way of thinking. So when the book of Hebrews has been written, they're almost in this balance part where they want and they love the relationship with God, but yet they're not seeing the benefits and the rewards that they think they should see. So therefore, they maybe think, maybe I need to go back. What a picture of where I believe the church is today. Because things aren't maybe happening exactly how we think they should be or what's taken place in our lives, we've so easily got that tendency to say, I've heard people say this, well, you know, my life was better before I got saved. What? I mean, come on, get real. You know, the children of Israel wandering in a wilderness, and that wasn't God's choice for their life, by the way, just a little footnote there. But they're wandering in a wilderness. And many times they cried out and said it was better for us in Egypt. Well, of course it was better than a wilderness. But you've got to remember this. They wanted to go back to what? Bondage. Isn't it amazing that all they could see was we're hungry and at least we had food there. But they failed to see they were in bondage. Isn't it amazing how the enemy can mess with us? So when this passage has been written and talked about, it's, it's really admonishing them, it's encouraging them, it's challenging every one of them. Hey, stop thinking about going back because there's nothing there. You've got the truth and the whole book of Hebrews talks about the greatness of God and who he is, that he's greater than the law of Moses, he's greater than Aaron, he's greater than this, he's a higher priest than the earthly priest. And it goes through that to show the people to keep holding on. And I just want to encourage you today to keep holding on. If you could put that scripture back up again, Tammy. How should we escape? Listen to what it says in the Message Bible. Do you think we can risk neglecting the latest message, this magnificent salvation? The New Living Translation says, What makes us think we can escape if we are indifferent to this great salvation? So from what we've just read there and the history and where this book of Hebrews came from, hopefully we see the importance of realising the necessity that there is in salvation or the necessity through salvation because now we have a personal relationship with God. I'm glad I don't have to go to a church to find God. Come on, I'm glad I don't have to pay something. I'm glad I don't have to light a particular candle. I'm glad I don't go through a ritualistic act in order to discover God. But God is now inside of me. I can have a personal relationship with God. And that's the first thought I want to present to you today. Salvation is not just a decision. Salvation is an experience. Come on, I said salvation is an experience. And the Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? There's two ways you can neglect salvation. Are you ready? Number one, to first and foremost refuse to accept it. That's perhaps one of the greatest neglects that we can have to say no to God. And we can neglect salvation in that way by saying, salvation's not for me. So many people have said, you know, I'm successful in life. I don't need God. It's only those who are poor, weak and destitute. I'm telling you, everyone needs God. There's a God-shaped void in every one of us. But there's many people who won't receive or don't receive God. And it's amazing, even when you look at the Easter story, Jesus had two thieves on each side. They knew they were about to die. There wasn't a question whether they were going to die or not. They were hanging on a cross, knowing minutes or hours of their life was all they had left. But what do we see? One asked for forgiveness and one still cursed God. How incredibly sad that is 
that knowing his fate, he would still curse the one who was the answer. So there's going to be neglect in the fact that people are going to fail to receive God. But I perhaps think that the second neglect is even greater than the first. And the second neglect is to receive salvation, to give your life to Christ, but then not to value it, not to tend to it, but to choose to neglect it, to take it for granted. The dictionary tells us of neglect, it's defined as this, three different thoughts that we give too little care or attention to, or to leave undone, or not attend to. Think about that in the realm of your salvation experience. Are you given too little care and attention to it? Now please understand, I'm not saying that we have to earn our salvation, we don't. But we've got to protect our salvation. We've got to guard our hearts because the enemy wants to come in and infiltrate us. We've got to guard our minds. Come on, the Bible says we've got to put on the armor of God, the protection of God, so we can stand against every lie. I wonder how much care and attention that we're given. I wonder what areas of our life we're leaving undone. I wonder what we're not really attending to. Because I truly believe outside of the gift of life, The breath that God placed in your body, the next greatest gift is the gift of salvation. The gift that God gives to us. But for so many people, salvation has just become a decision that I come forward and I say yes to Jesus. And it stops there. Salvation has to begin with a decision. You have to willfully accept and and confess your faults and your sins and say, God, I'm sorry. It has to start with your decision, but salvation is an experience. Can I talk to you a second about an experience? An experience is something that you feel. It's something that involves you. It's something that you have. How many times have you said to someone, oh, you've just got to come and what? Experience it for yourself. Because you know what you're talking about. You can tell them about it till you're blue in the face. Come on, you can talk about it all day long and it doesn't do it justice, does it? But a moment of experience and all of a sudden, I've got chills when I think about it, they look and go, wow. I was trying to lead a young man to Christ. I remember when I was about 16, 17 years of age. Everyone had tried to talk to this young guy at a youth camp and they turned him over to me and they said, Philip, we've done everything, you have a go. So I looked this guy square in the eyes and I remember in my heart I prayed and I said, God, help me. This was a problem kid, he had a lot of problems. His dad in Norwich was the most feared man in our city. The police were even afraid of him. His dad was just horrific in and out of jail. If people just looked at his dad in the wrong way, they lost their teeth. He was that kind of person. And this boy grew up in that environment and he'd already been a drug addict and all these things and he was like 15 years of age. And I remember looking at him and I said, Jason, I know everyone's told you everything, but here's all I'm going to say to you right now. I could stand here and tell you what Coke tastes like. I could stand here right now and tell you the feeling, what it feels to go down. I could try and explain to you, to the best of my ability, exactly what it is. But I said, can I tell you one thing? Just take a taste. 
Just experience it for yourself. Because no matter the words I can say, they don't even compare to the experience of touching it. His eyes open and he says, Pastor Philip, I wasn't a pastor then. He said, Philip, he said, wow. He said, I've never heard it like that. And I said, Jason, I can tell you how good God is, but you know what? You've got to experience it for yourself. Aren't you glad today your salvation is an experience that you can experience? And it's not just when you got saved. It's every day that you can live in that experience. I define salvation as this. This is my definition of salvation. It's a life-changing and life-giving experience. See there, that involves decision and experience. What do I mean? It's life changing. You make the decision to accept Christ. And at that moment, come on, we'll never be more saved than at that moment. Come on, that means we're going to make it to heaven when we give our lives through that decision. But then there's a process of sanctification that God wants to bring us through. And every day there's a life-giving presence that salvation wants to bring into every one of our lives. That every day the thrill of our salvation can get better and better and better. That we look forward to waking up the next day to live the life that God has for us. I wonder how many of us And neglecting that experience. And the Bible says, how do we escape? What hope is there if we take for granted the greatness that God has given to us? Look at this. Anything neglected results in it living beneath its potential. I wonder what potential God has for salvation in your life. Because you see, salvation comes into a broken down nothing. And makes you a fixed up something. Come on. Salvation comes in to where there's no hope. And it gives so much hope and so much future and so much blessing. There is so much potential that's available not only in us through God, but enabled to flow out through us. But yet, what do we do? We neglect it. We take it for granted. We don't really care about it. Everything else becomes more important to us. The latest movies, come on, what our friends think. Everything else takes the precedence and takes the priority over Our walk with God. The Bible says our walk with God is a daily walk. And we're going to be talking through this series about the different tenses of salvation. The Bible says when you were saved, past tense, you who are being saved, the process of it, and you who will be, the process of salvation envelops every aspect of your life. But you've got to realize it's potential to change your life if you allow it. The power is there, but you've got to release it in your life. You see, without salvation, you're in trouble. Look at your neighbor and say, if you're not saved, you're in trouble, buddy. But you know what? Here's the hope we have. As long as there's breath in our body, guess what? We still have the opportunity to receive God. But without salvation, there's a problem. You see, so many people have defined so many ways to God. You don't have to really be saved. You don't have to give your life to Christ. Here's the way you get to God. Here's what you need to do. Here's, can I show you what the Bible tells us? doesn't matter what other people tell us. Let me show you what God says is the way to salvation. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, someone who came to Jesus had many questions. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say, I'm one of many ways. Jesus didn't say, I'm just part of the parcel here. I'm just part of the game. Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the only truth. And I am the only life. And except through me, you're not going to see the Father. So many people look at that and they argue that. And they say, well, you can go this way and you can go that way. I think we've clearly seen today that the way is through God. And people get hung up on the way. Why? Because we read that broad is the way that leads to destruction. And narrow is the way that comes to life. So people get put off by the narrowness. Now I'm telling you, there is a narrow way to Christ, but the reality is this, the narrow way is wide enough for the whole world. If the world chooses to accept Christ, the narrow way is wide enough to accomplish, to accommodate the entire world. And listen, instead of worrying about how limited it sounds to only have one way, Every one of us should be saying, thank you, God, for providing a sure way that I can get to you. Come on, every one of us should say, thank you, God, that it wasn't this, this, this and this, but it was this. Thank you, God, it was the way, the truth. So I can know without question, well, did I really? I can know. You know, it's amazing. People say, well, that's not love. Let me use this illustration. Has anyone ever been cooking on a stove? How many knows that's hot? Have you ever had your children come up when you're cooking? What do you say to them? Get back because it's hot. Okay, some people I've heard just said, hey, I step out of the way. This is some way of teaching kids that I don't really agree with this method of it. They said sometimes you've got to let them experience it so they'll know it. So they don't tell their kids they're hot and then they get burnt and then they'll know not to go again. But you know what? How many in here would turn around and say we were being unloving to our kids by telling them that's hot? It's not unloving. How many would say that's unloving? It's not, is it? Why? Because we're protecting them. How many would say we're protecting our kids? Amen? You see, so when we say there's only one way to God, so many people say, well, that's unloving. No, it's not. It's just like a parent that's trying to spare their kid from the harm and the hurt and the pain that's all around. That shows love. Come on. That shows love that God is the way for our lives. So with God or without salvation, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And if you complain about, oh, salvation is so restricting and so limiting. Can I tell you, you've only made a decision and you haven't experienced salvation. You're not living in the experience because I'm telling you, every day I wake up and my wild is, watch out. It's incredible. If you think you live a boring life, if you think Christianity is boring, come and just hang out with me for a day. Come on, I'll show you how exciting life can be. Come on, I'll show you how it feels to drive 120 miles in a cart. No, I'm only playing, I'm only playing. But I'll just show you how exciting life can be. But so many people look at the restrictions of it. I don't. Yes, there are restrictions, and we're going to talk in the next few weeks about parameters we need to live in. But again, those parameters are what? For our blessing, for our hope, for our future. So without it, we're in trouble. But listen to this. With it, your life is going to be changed and transformed. Come on, he doesn't leave you the same way. Come on, he changes you and transforms you. Come on, your life will have true purpose and awesome meaning. Come on, your life is now going somewhere and it's in the fast lane. Come on, you've got structure, you've got order, you've got direction. Now you are living a daily experience that gets better and better every day. The thrill of the journey is not past tense, it's present tense and it's going to be even greater future tense. Because that's the experience salvation wants to be. Have you lost sense of the greatness of God?
Have you neglected so great a salvation? Let's look again at Hebrews 2, but go to verse 1 right now. It says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed. Can you remember people were wandering away and the author is saying, hold on a second. It's not time to slacken off. It's time to give the more earnest heed to the things, what? That we have heard. We've got to give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Lest we Help me out. The title of our message today is Drift Happens. Drift Happens. Come on, say with me, Drift Happens. Message Bible says it's crucial that we keep a firm grip on what we've heard so that we don't drift off. Off where? Off into the distance. Going off somewhere. When we talk about drifting, we're never going to drift into a better relationship with God. You're not going to just coast into a better relationship with God. But it's finding ourselves slowly and sometimes not even realizing we are. But little by little, the small steps that we're moving away from where we should be. Have you ever taken a little raft or a little boat out into the ocean? The first probably, what, 20, 15 yards, you get swept back to the shore, don't you? The waves knock you back in the direction they are going. But when you get over the crest of the wave where it breaks... Something begins to happen. The drift takes you the opposite direction. And so many of us are thinking, oh, the waves and everything, and oh, this is fun. But we are drifting further and further away to the point that we don't even realize that we are being sucked out to sea. And then the current takes us. I remember what it was like playing as a kid on rafts and boats to find yourself literally half a mile so easily swept down the beach without even realizing that you had drifted so far. I wonder where our relationship is with God. Because drift happens. And it's not just our relationship with God. It works in every relationship. If we just drift in our marriages, guess what? We're going to drift apart. I said, in our marriages, if we don't strive to work together and understand each other and and just be understanding and have empathy with each other and and listen to each other and work on it, guess what? We're going to drift apart. You will never coast into a stronger relationship. But yet people coast every day when it comes to God. Oh, I'll maybe go to church today. Oh, I'll maybe read my Bible. I'll maybe pray. Oh, I may do this. I may. Do. What are you doing? You are drifting further and further away. Put a car in neutral and see which way you'll roll. A car in neutral will never roll uphill. It's always going to roll to the lowest spot. So what does the scripture suggest for us to do? And it's not really a suggestion, it's a commandment. Hebrews 2 verse 1. But the problem, as we talked about in the first service, is this. The problem is when we make commandments suggestions. That's when the problems happen. When we take what God commands us to do and we make it into a suggestion, whether we feel like it or not, or when we want to do it, that's when the problems happen. The Bible says we must give the more earnest heed. That's a commandment that he's saying to us is wake up and give earnest heed to what? The things that you have heard, lest what's going to happen. Oh, it will never happen to me. Oh, yes, it will. You will drift away. 
We've got to keep a firm grip, as the Message Bible says. We've got to hold on to it. We've got to start getting serious about it. We've got to start realizing what's at stake. Because where you are in proximity to God determines your spiritual thermometer. Where you are, where is your relationship with God? Are you close to God? Are you in an intimate relationship with Him? Because if you are, man, that's a good place to be. And when you're in that place, all those other struggles and the pressures of the world don't have the same bearing or impact upon you, do they? But when your spiritual thermometer starts getting cool because you're distancing yourself so much further from God, you begin to make the decisions that you know you shouldn't do and you would have never made them if you were here. Come on, help me out in the house. You start distance, you start listening to the wrong things, you start being around the wrong people. Come on, the things start drifting into your lives. Why? Because you're drifting further and further and further. The proximity of your relationship with God will determine the temperature of your life, your spiritual thermometer. But what do we do? We take it for granted. I can wake up in America and I can go to church whenever I want. Because of that blessing, we take for granted the awesomeness of salvation. We take it for granted. I wonder how many of you woke up today and say, thank God you saved me. Not many of us. Why? Because we forget so often. I wonder how many of you said, thank God I've got a church to go to today. But instead you rolled up and said, oh, I'm so tired. I wished I didn't have to go to church. Isn't it amazing how drift happens? I don't care who you are today can be the most holy person. Bill brought this Bible to church today. It was the size of a coffee table. Has anyone ever seen those Bibles? He walked in my office today and said, wow, you are holy, man. I'm telling you, I've never seen a Bible that big. Came with legs and doubled up as a coffee table, I think. But we can come with all this holiness and we can have all this stuff and we can think, but you know what? It's what's inside. How should we escape if we're neglecting? And you know one thing that we tend to do is this, we blame others for our shortcoming. Well, you know, if only Pastor Peter had preached this message, if he'd only just done that, and he'd have done this or anything else. You know the most amazing thing is this, all the things that we're talking about, things are around us and not in us. And the salvation experience is not that which is around us, the salvation experience is that which is within us. And we blame everyone else and make every excuse for everything else that's going on. You know, I shared this in the last service. And, and you know, unfortunately, people leave the church. I hate that when people leave the church. Because I think we've got the greatest church in Baton Rouge in the world. And we've got great people. That's what makes church great. No other churches in Baton Rouge had a pastor puke all over the platform this morning. I mean, come on. I mean, it's not going to happen probably. And I know you're glad about that. But, you know, here's the deal is this. I've had some people that have said to me when I've met with them and said, so why are you leaving the church? And they looked me square in the eye and said, because I'm not being fed. Not being fed. Now, you know, we can be a lot of things, but one thing I think that we are not is that we are not growing an inebriated, hunger-stricken church. Because every week we give you the Word of God, which is the meat of the Word of God. It's the bread of life. But you know, the problem is this. If you only eat one meal a week, you're not going to have much strength. The problem is not that they're being not fed here. The 
problem is they're not feeding themselves Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Too many people pull up to church like it's a spiritual buffet and they try to stuff their faces so the rest of the week they can hopefully make it. And by Friday they're crawling, but they're going to make it because Sunday's coming and they've got steak and ribeye and they've got the chef challenge this week and we're going to be stuffed. You know what church is? Church is a place where saints can come and sharpen their swords because we're going out to fight a battle. So you see, it's so easy for us to blame other people and we look and we tell other people. But listen to this, nothing neglected can ever fulfill its full worth. The problem is not our salvation. The problem is the fact that we're neglecting it. Look what it reads on to say in Hebrews 2 verse 2. How many will give me five more minutes? Come on, let me see. How many give me five more minutes? Five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty, thirty-five, four, fifty. We've got two more hours. Is that good? (laughs) Hebrews 2 verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, And every transgression and disobedience receives a just reward. Can I say this? The way you live, the choices and the decisions you make determine the rewards and the blessings that you get. Because the Bible goes on to say, because how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Look what it says in the Message Bible. It says this, it is crucial that we keep a firm grip on what we have heard so we don't drift off. If the old message delivered, talking about the old covenant, talking about the problem that the people had at that time, that they wanted to go back to Judaism. But the writer was saying, if the old message delivered by the angels was valid and no one got away with anything, because that's what the law demanded, no one could fulfill the law. He says, hold on a second, do you think we can risk neglecting this latest message, this magnificent salvation? Can we neglect that, he's saying, and get away with it? Because that's the thought that we have, isn't it? Can I neglect that and get away with it? How close can I get to the edge and still be a Christian? Huh? How close can I get to the edge and still be a Christian? Come on, we all do it. What can I do but yet still be saved? What is it that I can grab a hold of but yet, oh, my foot's still, oh, I'm still in. Isn't it amazing how we try with all our energies and powers to see how far into the world that we can get without losing our salvation instead of reckoning and realizing the trap that there is out there and guarding that which has been given to us. I'm telling you right now, the Bible says in Galatians 6 and 7, it says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, whatever you put your time and investments in, that's what you're going to reap. If you're trying to be so much like the world, you know where you're dropping your seeds? Not in your experience with God. But everything else is becoming of a greater importance for you. And the Bible says that where your treasure is, it's your heart is going to be. So you know what you're saying when you're living like this? You're saying, I'm saved, but my heart is really in the world. Let me say that one more time, because this is the truth of God's word. You're saying that I'm trying with everything I can to still be a Christian, but wow, I want this and I want that. What's of value to my life, the Bible says, is where my heart is. And when God comes, he doesn't judge you where your feet are. God judges you where your heart is. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? 
Listen to this. The outcome of your life is determined by the income. Well, Pastor Philip, I make $82,000, so I have a good income. No, wrong income. (laughs) It's not about the income and sense of the money worth. But what your life is going to be is dependent upon what lives inside of you. The experience of salvation is not just the decision of when you got saved. But it's an experience that wants to be lived out inside of you. Are you taking that for granted? The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 4 and 6, it says, You are children of God. You are little children and you have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. They who are of the world, therefore what they speak of the world. And what do they do? And the world hears them. But notice what the first words of verse 6 says, But we are of God. You've got to realize that through salvation, you're not part of the world anymore. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. Let me use this example to try and help you. I'm British. I was born in Britain. I just got my American citizenship. But no matter what the paperwork says, I'm always going to be British. Because that's where I'm born. That's who I am. That's, that's my heritage. That's what I am. A piece of paper, thank God, now says, well, I'm part of America and I'm a citizen, but I'm a British American citizen. You see, I am in America, but I'll never be an American. And that's what God is saying to every one of us. We are in the world, but as children of God, we are not of the world. Come on, our home is a different place. It's a higher place. Yes, we've got to live here, we've got to work here, and that's why we can't neglect what we've got, but this isn't where it is. We're going on to a promise, because salvation, we're going to talk about that, the promises that are available for us through salvation. But if you've got to see this, we're in it, but we're not of it. Big difference. We can be in darkness, but darkness doesn't have to be inside of us. And that's the power of salvation. Because the world is dark. The people are lost all around us. But when he's greater inside of us, when he's not minimized, guess what? Great things happen. And you know what God demands? And I'm almost finished. God demands separation. You know what salvation is? Separation. Separation from the world. It's not doing those things. If you've got to stand up and tell someone I'm a Christian and they act shocked, you better realize you're living a decision and not an experience. Because if people are shocked, wow, I didn't realize that. That's how Christians act. Why do they say that? Because Christians are acting just like they're acting. There is a separation. There is a difference. We need to speak in a different way. We need to walk in a different way. Come on, help me out in the house. We need to live in a different experience because that's what salvation is. The old has gone and I'm stepping into the new. I'm not an old creation anymore. The old man has gone. The old desires I had, the things I had, I stepped through a narrow door. But when I stepped through the cross, the the opportunities that were opened up to my life are endless in God. Stop playing with your salvation. Stop just playing with it and come again to an experience where you understand the greatness of it. Stop neglecting it and taking it for granted. Next week, God willing, we're going to look at four areas and ways how we neglect the salvation of God. We minimize its greatness. We want to live outside of its parameters. We desire to be the boss. Now, I know none of you have never done number three. I know you all willingly just do everything that God tells you to do. Yeah, right. 
How many times do we want it our way? And then we super spiritualize in it by saying, God told me to. No, God didn't because God's not schizophrenic. He doesn't change his mind one day and then the other. I was just reading the other day when it's talking about prophecy in the book of Corinthians. It says, you know how God has spoken or not? Is the one way you know when God's spoken or not, it's going to come to pass. That's what it says. If you want to know if God's spoken, it's going to come to pass. And then the fourth area is when we start to mess with his plan. I just want to say to every one of you today, are you neglecting so great a salvation? Are you belittling the greatness of it? Are you devaluing the power that is available to you? We just laid the groundwork of this message really today. We're going to be jumping into it in a deeper, deeper way. But I'm telling you, salvation is an experience that God wants you to be a part of. An experience that will change you every day. Would you stand to your feet with me today? We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.